This is Tom Fox. Over the next several episodes, Professor Karen Woody and myself are going to take the Woody Report in a different direction. We're going to take a look at the great HBO series Succession Season 4. We're going to dissect it and give you the synopsis. And then Karen and I are going to talk about how it fits into the cultural milieu, what it means for securities law and other laws as the Logan family goes through its throes of whether to have succession or not. I know you'll enjoy this series. Today, episode three, Connor's Wedding. On the day of Connor and Willa's wedding in New York, Logan departs for Sweden with Tom and the rest of the senior executive cadre except Jerry and Hugo to negotiate with Matson. He decides to fire Jerry for her perceived mishandling of the fallout from the cruises scandal and tasks a reluctant Roman with delivering the news at the wedding. However, the siblings soon receive word from Tom that Logan has collapsed on board the plane and is unresponsive. It gradually becomes clear that Logan will not survive. His plane is turned around and he is pronounced dead upon landing. The devastated siblings are forced to coordinate a response along with the rest of Waystar's executives. Connor and Willa go through with their wedding in a small ceremony while Kendall, Shiv, and Roman travel to Teterboro Airport to receive their father's body and issue a statement announcing his death to the press. Should we just say, wow? Should we just say, OMG? Should we just throw our heads back? What What did you feel that that after that episode? You know, I, I, I don't even know how to put that into words. That is, I think, one of the best hours of television I have ever seen. I mean, there are a few that also jump to mind that I've seen in commentary that other people have referenced. I think is right. I think the Ozymandias episode of Breaking Bad, maybe like the Red Wedding, other sort of, you know, huge episodes out of Game of Thrones or things like that. But this was, and and just even, you know, the surprise factor of all that, it was genius. And then that's not even getting into the acting and the I mean, it was it was a spectacular hour for sure. Well, let's just let's just take on the acting because I, I agree with you. That was as fine an acting job, particularly the kids, but really everyone as I have seen. But I, I wondered when we were watching the action. I felt like it was one cut, and it turned out it was. And they just filmed it till they got it right, particularly the part on the boat. And I really felt like I was literally on Broadway, you know, 10 rows back, watching this unfold in front of me like live theater. It was just the camera movement. It, it, the steady cam was not steady. It bounced around just like you would on a boat. And uh, the I really focused on the when they would zero in and do a close up of someone and then it would pan back. And it was just, all of that was just magical, but that acting, um, all of them, Shiv, Kendall, Roman, I, I just thought they brought their triple a games. I think that's right. I mean, I, I don't know if the people who hand out Emmys need to spend any more time watching anything else. I mean, that was, 
a master class to be sure. And I think, you know, I, I have to say sometimes I get a little annoyed or don't see the merit of some of those sort of behind the scenes clips I do after the episode. But this one was because it was such an exceptional episode. And it was just so fascinating, to, as you say, peek behind the scenes of how they also did that. Even just, you said, you know, mechanically, physically, how they had people just switching out reels and just doing a 27-minute take or whatever it is he was that Karen Culkin was explaining at the end of the show. It was really neat to sort of be able to even see, you know, how that got made. That was great. So there's been a lot written about the actor who plays Kendall, and he's apparently the ultimate method actor and he subsumes himself, you know, to the point almost of going insane in the most minute part of every role. But I felt like each one of those actors did that. I mean, Mm -hmm. Roman, Shiv, certainly Kendall, and they drew from depths. I'm not sure I knew existed. Mm -hmm. I agree. I mean, it was, and it was they were still so true to the character, but you could see how personal it was. And in a way that, you know, I don't think we would have known or appreciated or even maybe the actors could have pulled off had this been the first season where we saw something similar to this happen in the first couple episodes of the entire show. That's why it's called Succession. This what is going to happen when Logan Roy eventually dies. And so... There's something about maybe that the audience now knows these characters well, or that even the actors know these characters better. It, it was, I don't know if you could have pulled this off at any point prior to this. What did you think about the device of having the phone next to his ear? I thought that actually led to a dynamic tension you wouldn't have gotten, even if you were present, if they had all been present on the plane with him. 100%. That's the perfect foil. I mean, whoever wrote this should, I mean, I, I hope they're recognizing that that was, like you said, just such a perfect way to have this quasi privacy, but not, and to be able to sort of have a moment of saying your last words to your father, maybe. I, I didn't think it was brilliant how we never really see what happened to Logan. I, I kept rewinding me like, what did I miss? You know, I, I, no one knew. So we were all sort of the kids of not, totally understanding if this was happening or real and is this all just you know like what is actually going on i think pulling even those watching us like watching the show into that same level of confusion and sort of chaos was also brilliant but you're right i I think that idea of each one of these kids now has a moment to say something to their father and they all said something similar you know, the sort of same complex you know set of emotions that each sort of wrestled with in different ways, but that foil, that sort of setup was, was genius. It was genius. Um, what about Connor? <laughs> uh, you know, you have to say, he's probably thinking, you know, this is perfect. This is exactly how my wedding day would going, would be going. Well, Wilk Willa, she seemed to be able to stand above it, but um, one of my, top lines is is Connor and his response to that. Um, did you think his, first of all, the acting, the acting, but second was the actor honoring Connor's character at that point? Hmm. Well, I mean, you, <laughs> I don't know. I, obviously the death was surprising for Connor, but you already were feeling for Connor because you knew Logan wasn't coming either way to his wedding 
and just, you know, he's so slighted at every turn. And so you're right. I think I, I know what line you're probably referencing. And it, it was kind of on point. I was surprised that he came, he said that outright so quickly in the sense that it does seem like I, I wasn't how sure how in touch with himself he was of recognizing that that's his initial emotion. But maybe, you know, over the arc of this, he has sort of started to realize like, like all these kids, they're just hustling so hard to get their father's approval or not or whatever it would be. But for him, it seems like it's always a little bit harder for him for that to be as transparent as it seemed in that scene. But maybe that was the moment where he just all of a sudden realized, wait a minute, I'm so stressed about this guy. And he already was probably not even coming. <laughs> so, yeah. So a couple, a couple of other things about the wedding sequence, the cake. Um that drew as emotional reaction as I think, as I have ever seen from Connor mm. and he objects to a cake being cut open, the wedding cake being cut open because it has triggered memories of what happened to him when Logan had his mother committed to an insane asylum. They fed him cake, super sweetened cake, to basically drug him up as you would a little kid and I also actually thought back to Marcel Prost, remembrances of things past, hmm. where he writes this lovely scene around smelling a French tart and taking him back to his childhood. And they were able to incorporate that in, you know, obviously it went in a different direction. But to me, that was an incredibly powerful scene. It was really, I, I was shocked they sort of went that deep, especially on such a lighthearted day. You know, I, I, was, I was surprised by that, but. One thing I have always thought was an interesting choice done by this or, you know, made by the the people who are creating this show is that there aren't any flashbacks. You don't see sort of scenes of the kids as with different actors from years ago, but there is still so much information and so much pulled forth of what their childhood did look like or seem like just in dialogue like this, or even just sort of references that, I don't know if you need to do a flashback and like show that scene or because it's so, you know, artfully described in a way that's actually weirdly more painful than if you had seen that, you know, actually played out with through some sort of a flashback foil. Uh, and so that, that was really hard. That was a hard moment. And for Willa to sort of realize it when, the, when the brothers are explaining to her why this is probably was triggering him. Um, it was it was a very emotional episode for sure. So what about later after the three main siblings leave the boat and Willa and Connor are together? He basically asks her, "Are you marrying me for my money?" I thought her answer was a little ambiguous. You might have different views on that. And then I was really intrigued with his question, which is number one on the question of all males. Uh, if I don't do this today, are you going to leave me? And her response was not today. Right. Uh, and it, when I first heard the line, I went, well, this ain't long for life. But then I thought maybe she's saying of all the days you've gone through, I'm not going to leave you today because I recognize you need me in some emotional way. So maybe she was being a little more charitable, but how did you see that? Those kind of that dialogue play out. 
Yeah, I actually thought that scene was another masterclass of acting for her because you can watch almost on her face all of the different thoughts that it seems like she's having. She's having this moment where she wants to maybe lie to him and say, no, 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 I, I definitely love you. But, I mean, the fact that she chooses a fairly honest answer of saying, you know, this is security or safety money has some role in this. She's not, she's being honest. And so I actually think it's a moment where she's, uh, I, I thought it was really impressive acting to see how all the tension you can almost watch go through her mind. But I agree with you. I think she was actually being really sweet. I think she ended up being uh, deciding that he, you know, almost even for herself, that he's a good guy. I mean, I feel like you almost watch in real time her say, maybe this isn't, maybe this is a great thing to do. Um but you're right. When I saw that scene, I wasn't sure which way it was going. So when the, you saw the cut to them actually going ahead with it, that was reassuring. But I, I wasn't I wasn't sure we were heading in that direction during that scene. I agree with you on that. And then I found the actual wedding scene really touching. Um, they had to have less than 10 people there. Um, I have multiple marriages, so I've done big ones. I've done grand ones and I've done little ones and uh, a little one can be a very beautiful wedding. And so that meant a lot to me, but it also meant a lot to me for Connor that he went through with it and he didn't. Especially when the whole thing was even promised upon it being a splashy press was there. This was more about, you know, his presidential run than it was the wedding itself. And for that to then be the outcome it's it's already sort of Shakespearean in its own way in that on that one arc of the story. Let's switch over to um, uh, some other in- angles this episode took, uh, because as we know from all episodes of Succession, all business is personal and all personal is business. And we're both lawyers. When my father died, I immediately thought. Okay, let's get our estate in order. You know, what do I need to do? Where do I need to go? What do I need to get? How do I need to file it? Da 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 da. So that didn't in 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 any way to me seem unreasonable or um, maybe unfair, but there was clearly a lot of planning going on uh, here. Um, so let's step back and talk about Jerry. Because Logan wants to fire her at the start of the episode. Uh, I suppose as as chairman of the board, he can summarily terminate her. Um, She's the CEO of the company, technically, for whatever that's worth. But um, he sends Roman to tell her she's going to be let go. And, of course, he botches the whole thing. But... After it's confirmed, they or at least believe Logan died. I saw her s- step back into a CEO mode and start to catalog in her head all of the things that had to be done. Uh, do you th- do you think there was any way that that conversation with Roman effectively terminated her, or is she still CEO? No, I think she's still at the company. I'd forgotten that she was CEO. I thought she was still just general counsel. But you're right. I think she was stepping in as acting. Uh, no, I don't think that was an official act by any sense. And the, and what's amazing is that there aren't 
many other people who know about that. I guess Tom and Carrie. And so that's going to play into future episodes of exactly your question is, did that actually effectively terminate her? And the people who know that know that that wasn't the wishes of the, I mean, that's, that's, it's all going to, I think unfold and be messy, which is the point of the show. And so I, I think that will be a really interesting wrinkle. Um, everybody's sort of doing a little bit of a song dance after this news comes out was, was pretty amazing to watch And it's kind of what we talked about last episode about how there's so many other stakeholders, if we want to call them that other people that are somewhat on the periphery that have a potential major role and potentially could throw their hat in the ring to run the company next. And we'll start to see them all come out of the woodwork. Um, and Jerry, obviously, I think is the forerunner of that uh, list of people outside of the kids. But, you know, I don't even I, I think she might be one of the most competent for sure, maybe in terms of experience and background and what she's already been doing. So, yeah, I mean, if someone wants to challenge her of saying she had been terminated, I, I don't think that would be effective, but I think it'll be part of the conversation. I have assumed that the Roy family either through trust or direct shareholdings owned a majority stake in this public company. And I've assumed it's a public company. Mm-hmm. So as a public company, obviously reporting obligations and material adverse events have to be reported. So they, they do have to announce his death. Um, in reading, doing a little reading for this podcast, I was surprised to learn that about 50% of the time, when a founder dies, the stock actually goes up mm-hmm. because they see that the market sees that as a removal of an impediment to either diversify, expand, bring in new blood, you know, grow in a way the founder didn't see feasible or possible. But if 50% go up, that means 50% go down. Um, and I can't remember what happened after app, the Apple, after Steve Jobs passed away, but um, any thoughts on, on that legal requirement does it have to be immediately and what happens if the stock literally tanks yeah no great question so it's a material event so under the rules uh, the the sec rules you have to file an 8k which is effectively a press release announcing the material event and you have to do that within four days of the event occurring so you still have you know 72 hours or so to figure it out um uh what's going to happen i can't even do the math this morning but uh so you have four days to file that when the market knows. Obviously, the market now knows after the press release they actually held at the airplane hangar or at the airport there. Uh, and one of the scenes is, you know, Roman saying this is dad when they say this is the amount that the market drops when they see that this news has hit, hit markets. In terms of when executives pass away, certainly CEO, chairman of the board, and um, and, and people who are like a Logan, like, you know, they are the face of the company in some ways, or at least have been, if not the face as much as Steve Jobs, but clearly the one who has run this under their own vision for quite some time, whether or not investors are, or the public maybe is aware of how many strings they pull or not, you know, the markets might react to that. So for Steve Jobs, I think it was a pretty volatile trading in Apple for a bit, but as I recall, I might be wrong. I think Tim Cook had already been named as his successor, given his health deteriorating, meaning it wasn't sort of a sudden event. And so I, do, I think Apple 
was, you know, a little, it was a little dicey, but then, you know, rebounded fairly quickly. It might've even gone up sort of for that same reason you mentioned, which is now there's actually some steadiness, how effective and strong the new leader is maybe is where the market might falter somewhat. Um, But in this case, the issue will be who is going to be next, which really is why the show is titled what it is. We don't know who that is. And there are some options that might not be great for the company. There might be sort of either untested. One of the kids might not be maybe effective. There, there are, there isn't a named successor in the way that I think Tim Cook had been named. Uh, and so, you know, I, maybe that's part of the, the play here is that no, the, that will be the, in you know, part of the conversation as well, which is who will rewrite this market? What will, what will, you know, reassure the markets that this company is still on the same path. And this of course will also apply to the, to the sale, to Matson, to the Gojo sale. That's going to be obviously a major factor there too. So yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see it because I mean, if you think about it, where we left off the stock tanked on the news of the death, I mean, I, if you're Matson, you probably don't want to buy it for what they were going to buy it for because now it's not maybe worth that. So he's maybe going to see if he can back out of the terms of whatever deal they had. I mean, there's going to be a lot of moving parts um, in addition to who's going to be speaking or running the company, speaking for Waystar or running it. Um, so does Matson uh, try to get the price reduced based upon the drop in share price, the change of, or material event change? Or does he say, no, I want it now. I want it and I want it now. And you're never going to get a price this high ever again. You board meet tomorrow and vote. Yeah, that's a good, that's a really good strategy. I'm just saying, let's push this through as quick as we can and push it through without this renegotiation that, you know, Logan was off to go do with Matson. I'm thinking there was more, maybe they could squeeze out of it. Uh, yeah. So maybe Matson's going like, no, I, I let's lock this down. Um, it's, it's an interesting call. Maybe Matson also is saying, wait a minute, this is a fire sale. Maybe I shouldn't be offering this. Um, I, I don't, I don't know. And you know, who gets on the plane to go even represent Waystar to talk to Matson is also up in the air. So I think that'll, that'll be where you see a lot of this going, especially because now even with the Pierce, um, the Pierce transaction, the kids need the Gojo money. I mean, all this is going to get, I mean, I think it's brilliant for the show that they did this in episode three, because we have now seven episodes to see this play out, you know, how ugly this can get when you don't have a succession plan. Uh, Okay. Let's talk about some favorite lines. Okay. What did you have for us? All right. There are a few, I, I, you know, Greg always gets like Greg and Tom's, you know, banter always comes up as being, funny especially in the beginning when you don't realize this is going to not be a funny episode at all but i think you know tom tells greg that logan finds him visually aggravating i thought that was that was a humorous uh quip the other one that ends up being very funny but shouldn't have been was carl when someone was talking about should we call mattson and tell him he's delayed and carl (laughs) says he's heavily like f-bomb delayed and i was like i mean that was a moment of levity. I didn't really expect that was good. And, you know, even um, another moment, like, I don't think it was levity, but it's, it was almost comical in its handling was when Kendall really took over and became leader and was like, I want the best medical uh, 
airline expert. You know, he's sort of he's just sort of scrambling and wants every major, you know, cardiologist on board. And, you, and like all of those are such ridiculous asks, but it's 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 yeah. So those those were some funny lines. And then, of course, the one that I think really set Twitter afire was we can get an off the shelf funeral. We'll just do Reagan's with tweaks. <laughs> it was perfect. It was perfect. So those are my those are my lines. Well, that was uh, one of mine, too. For Tom and Greg, I took another one, which Tom says to Greg, or Greg asked, do you need me to go to Sweden? Tom says, I've got three or four people gregging for me. (laughs) And I thought that was perfect, perfect description. Greg responds, don't turn me into a word. I'm a guy. (laughs) He doesn't realize, you know, what he's been turned into. Um, Connor when the other siblings tell him their father has died, his line uh, that we referenced earlier was, oh man, he never liked me. Mm. And, and then um, I thought of you when I heard this line, because I thought of the SEC. This is Kendall says, let's grieve and whatever, but not do anything which restricts our freedom of movement. Yeah. And, fantastic there are a few uh, lines all in there about what we do today is what we'll always do on the day our father died i mean it was really powerful writing someone had was well versed in their machiavelli and i love seeing machiavelli come out in situations just like that um maybe we could end with we have both just crowed over the acting particularly the three main kids in the first 30 minutes of the show I can't emphasize how powerful I thought it was, but did you, but I saw sort of each one of them kind of break down into really their base characters. Like Roman, I thought just turned into a sniveling, not a sniveling, a crying child. I mean, he sat on the floor. He couldn't even sit in the seat and he couldn't remember if he talked to his father or not. Uh, Shiv, I thought said the most poignant thing to her father when she said daddy. Yeah. And I'd never heard her call him daddy. And I have to hark back to my sister who very, very rarely used that term. He, she, he was always dad. And when she said daddy, everybody paid attention because something important Mm -hmm. was about to be said. Either she wanted something or she was hurt or something. And so when she was saying into the telephone, which allegedly was going into his ear, daddy, I love you. I just was almost overwhelmed Mm. on that, that score. And then Kendall, I thought it was perfect. I love you, but I can't forgive you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, it was just, it was just brilliant. But um, I just remember sitting there thinking just wow, through the whole episode. It was so good. It was really wonderful. Yeah. Like I said, I don't I don't know how you top that. I don't be something we will I think people will remember forever, be like, it's like that episode of succession. And like I do think the elements of surprise played a major role. But even once we sort of recognized what was happening, the acting that sort of brought it forth and carried it through was spec it was was a master class. Well, I believe the next episode is the board meeting, so I can hardly wait. (laughs) Me too. Well, Karen, thanks so much. I look forward to visiting with you again next week. Me too. Thanks, Tom. Have a good one.
Hope you've enjoyed listening to this episode of Succession Season 4, Episode 1, as much as Karen and I enjoyed recording it and bringing it to you. And I hope you will join Karen and I again for the next episode, which of course is Episode 2. I also hope you will subscribe, rate, and review The Woody Report, which features Professor Karen Woody. The Woody Report is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network.